0: Virginia Tech and UVA open their football camps, the Hokies AD has a new contract extension, and college football mourns the passing of a legend. All that and much more this week on Teal & Barber. Welcome in to episode 54 of Teal & Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year, and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you?
1: Good morning. Well, hope everyone is the same.
0: We are. We're actually getting ready to take one final uh, mini vacation of this summer before uh, our daughter goes back to school, and and you know how it works. You and I get buried in uh, college football in in a good way, and, and all the work that that entails, we're We're heading up to Baltimore, where two years ago, we took my daughter to her first uh, ever baseball game, Orioles game against the Yankees. Of course, I was rooting for the Yankees. She got an Orioles shirt and hat and was rooting for the home team, as as you should, I think, as a, a kid, your first time in a ballpark. Um, so this time around, it, it's my son. Evan turned two, and uh, it'll be his first major league game. It kind of got me thinking back to, to, to my experiences with that, and I'm curious for you, David, what what was the first sporting event you remember attending?
1: Mets, Dodgers, Shea Stadium, Mike, I'm going to – I mean, this is Major League. Uh, that w- I'm going to ballpark that as 68 when I was about nine years old. Now, if you want to include college football, my, f- my very first sporting event in a much larger crowd than at Shea Stadium would have been at JFK Stadium, the late great JFK Stadium in Philadelphia with 100,000 people, Army, Navy, 1966 i would have been seven years old
0: that is one of my my bucket list games and uh yeah it's interesting you know 20 years after you of course but my first my first sporting event uh was a new york mets houston astros doubleheader at shea stadium uh neither of my parents are big sports fans but my aunt uh was really into the mets and her roommate took took uh Her and I to the game ended up being a doubleheader. I remember uh, the night before my aunt calling the house and saying, you know, playing a little bit of a prank on me. She said, I have bad news about tomorrow's game. And I thought, oh no, you know, it's been canceled. I'm not going to get to go to my first major league game i'm not going to get to see daryl strawberry and len dykstra in that lineup that they had and she said uh today's game got rained out so tomorrow's a double header would you mind seeing two games <laughs> of course as a nine-year-old i was also nine at that time so absolutely uh, i remember getting a program and uh learning how to score a baseball game there and uh, i remember ron darling they split the double header i think ron darling pitched the game they won um so yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I think, I hope for my kids too, that um, it, it stands out from your childhood. What was, what was Tiny Teal's first?
1: Nats game at nine months old. <laughs> oh, Bless my wife's brave heart. Does she remember it? No, <laughs> but, but, but she's been, ex- except for COVID, last season, she's been to at least one Nats game every season of her life. That's
0: awesome. Awesome. And I know we covered a lot of your vacation on the last episode, so go back and listen if you if you want that recap. But um, th- there was baseball trips involved, right? There was a game involved in
1: in this year's uh,
0: family vacation, wasn't there?
1: Two, we did a we did a Rockies game. And a Salt Lake Bees game. Oh, so cool.
0: Minor League Baseball, they've got the best names, the best logos, the best merchandise. When I when I worked at Major League Baseball, they did a thing for the employees. We called it the yard sale. Uh, and it was basically demos and sample materials and, and all sorts of, um, you know, not to go out products that um, had been approved or not approved and they would sell them in this yard sale and, and everybody in the company, everybody that worked in the commissioner's office, you kind of drew numbers and whatever your number was, that was like the order you could go in to kind of pick through this stuff and, and buy items and, 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 Everybody, of course, made a beeline for um, the high ticket items. I was an intern with no money. Uh, I always worked my way over to the minor league <laughs> table, and I have a Toledo Mudhens t shirt still from that. Um, I think a Sand Nats hat I picked up there. And um, those are cool. They're just such cool experiences.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned the, uh, the cool nicknames. The night we saw the Bees, they were playing the Sacramento River Cats.
0: Oh, how cool is that? I mean, I love the tradition of the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs, but minor league baseball is where it's at for the, for the fun stuff.
1: Yeah. No, no question. And, you know, pictures with the mascot and uh, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. I I need to give a shout out to our good friend Parney over at the squirrels. We took uh, the kids over for a game and uh, he made sure that my daughter got to see Nutsy and and she ended up on the big screen with Nutsy, their mascot over there at the diamond. And, um, You know, that's right here, kind of in in our own backyard and and always such a a good experience. And I think it's good. You know, I don't know how much my my son took in at two years old, but he he knows now that the pitcher throws the ball Mm because he points to the pitcher and he says, throw, (laughs) and then the pitcher throws it and then he yells to the batter hit. Um, and then he gets a little flustered when the batter doesn't swing. That's the one part that um, if he becomes a baseball player, he's going to be a free swinger because he does not understand uh, the concept of taking pitches.
1: No, and uh, I'm not sure how much Laura pays attention either. Uh, she's probably more interested in the food and people watching than baseball watching.
0: Hey, man, that's that's part of being there. Take me out to the crowd, right? Peanuts and cracker yes. jack, and. Yeah, that's part of the the allure. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to that and always a good time. And you and I are looking forward to college football season. And and it kind of really ramped up, I think, for us with uh, Media Day at Virginia Tech. Got to get out and um, spend some one-on-one time, some FaceTime with the coaches and some of the players. A lot of the players, it it was a really good event and an opportunity to really get some good one-on-one time. David, what were some of your takeaways from from what we talked about that day? Well, I...
1: (sighs) I don't think there were any great surprises. Remember the last time we had gathered for an actual media day in Blacksburg was two years ago, and Bud Foster announced his retirement, (laughs) effective end of season. So there was large news that day. This was a more uh, routine event. I mean, I always – you tend to focus on quarterbacks, especially those who are kind of – you know, unproven, which Braxton Burmeister is, but man, the coaches like him. I mean, they really, really do, and especially his athleticism, and now it's up to him to produce.
0: Yeah, David, that's a, a topic that you kind of wrote on, I and mean, it's it's interesting to hear just what, the, you know, not that he's a good athlete or that he's, you know, a good runner, he can do. I mean, this is a guy that they believe is one of the two or three best athletes on their team, um, mm-hmm. and, and other players agreed, and, and, you know, other players, you tend the ego tends to come in, and, well, he's not as fast as me, or, well, he right. can jump. And that was not the case, man. Like, everybody was kind of bowing down at the altar of, of what Braxton Burmeister can do.
1: And uh, how did Justin Fonte describe him physically to you? Well, he, he said he's ripped to shreds. He's got veins in his abs. <laughs> he goes, this is what the people I'm watching on the Olympics look like.
0: Yeah, how about that? Yeah, so, and you know, Justin Fuente has been doing this a while. He's he's seen good athletes, right? So for yeah. somebody's physique uh, to stand out in that way, it tells you that, yeah, you know, and, and who knows, you know, how will that translate? I thought Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente were interesting talking about the idea that, hey, people here great athlete at quarterback and and they picture the running and 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 the making plays with your legs but they said you know a lot of that translates into how well he's going to help the passing game keeping plays alive arm strength and um you know ability to keep his balance and and um i think that's going to be the area because we had people tell us when we were in charlotte i think james mitchell said to me you know that this is going to be a really good passing game. I think Justin Fuente said this figures to be their best passing game he's had outside of the Isaiah Ford, you know, Bucky Hodges season.
1: Yes, he, he did. And I, that, and that really turned, turned heads. He said, I, f- I feel better. This was his direct quote. I feel better about the passing game than I ever have since I've been here. And yeah, when, when, when a coach says that you your, your ears perk up and, it you make an interesting point, Mike, about balance because that's that's one thing that Burmeister's athleticism uh, involves. He's he's into mixed martial arts. I mean, he he was telling me when he was like four or five years old, his mom was into kickboxing, <laughs> so he'd go to her kickboxing lessons and watch. And now he's into jujitsu. He's gotten Brock Hoffman into it. And oh, by the way, Burmeister, you know, because he's a SoCal kid, he grew up surfing, he grew up hooping, he, he, he dabbled in baseball, and he was a heck of a football player.
0: Yeah. And, and that balance is so important. And I think people lose sight of that sometimes because it's one thing to avoid the rush, right? To, to get away. And, and that's important, right? You don't want to get sacked. But then what position is your body in when you emerge from that? Um, and, and it's why a lot of quarterbacks are coached to throw the ball away because you slip out of something, you know, your footwork is all shot. Your your shoulders are all turned, you're all spun around. You live to fight another day and throw the ball away, but what Cornelson was explaining to me at one point was that, you know, Burmeister's the kind of guy who can slip out of something that looks like a broken play and get his balance, get himself set again to really deliver the football the way it's supposed to be delivered, not flinging it across the field or throwing it back over your shoulder or some of the wild things we see, but really he's got the, the body control to you know reset the pocket, if you will, and and that's one of the reasons you know, that they are so excited about this passing game, but David, it's also the reason that I have some questions because when you look behind Braxton on the depth Ooh. chart, they're in much there, and that's true, in my opinion, up and down this roster. I, I told Dax Holyfield, I said, I look at your team and I see a starting 11 on offense and a starting 11 on defense that I think can contend for a Coastal Division title. I look at your two deep and I think you're an injury or two away from a potential train wreck. That's got to be the, the number one
1: concern right now if you're a Tech fan. Agreed, and I would highlight a couple maybe even just one position defensive end it's been apparent at least in my interpretation that they are not optimistic about Emmanuel Belmar right. being ready for the start of the season if at all this year coming back from a serious concussion and if belmar is unavailable you know what is a defensive end outside of amari barno
0: yeah it, it is it is thin um And inexperienced, and I think that a little thin inside too – Certainly the addition of the Clemson transfer solidifies the inside. You've got Pollard and and Kendricks who have played, but that defensive line, you're right, to me is is really thin, especially at end. Uh, I see the same thing on the offensive line. Now, the nice thing at offensive line, and and Brock Hoffman talked about this a bunch at Media Day, they got a lot of guys who can play a lot of different spots. I mean, Brock told me that, yeah, he's practicing at center. He's a Remington candidate at center. That's where he expects to be, but he can play either guard spot. He can play either tackle spot. Uh, he told me, you know, Tyrell Smith, Lysita Smith, uh, Luke Tanuda, that those guys can play every guard and tackle spot. So you have a lot of flexibility where it isn't a case of, okay, who's the backup left tackle. Who's the backup right tackle. It's who's the next lineman ready yeah. to come in. And and with the addition of, of the uh, Jordan kid, the uh, Maryland transfer, right. you've got John some Jordan. pieces. Yeah. You've got some flexibility. You got some pieces, uh, but they don't have the experience. They don't have the depth. Now you and I, talked about this and we know the coaches are pretty high on, on Parker Clements and uh, maybe even somebody who ends up in the starting lineup by the time the season starts.
1: Yes. It it, it, right tackle. I I would agree. I mean, coming out of the spring, they really seemed to like the progress that he had made there. And I, I would be surprised if, if he doesn't land in, in the starters role, Mike, I certainly would think that he would be in a regular rotation.
0: I went through and did some research, and um, the last three years they've averaged over seven uh, starting offensive linemen per game. Now that's kind of comes with the position, right? It's a very physical position. That's not counting all the guys who play. That's not counting guy taking off a series. That's guys who start games. Um, you know, you could see seven guys in that room that that you'll feel good about. Um, the question is who's spelling guys in game. Um, it's just, it, it looks thin. Now they did go and add a junior college transfer from a junior college in in Utah. We'll see what he turns out to be. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think offensive line, defensive line quarterback, they're an injury away from potentially being in a really bad spot.
1: No question. And, you know, Burmeister had his issues last year. Now they really weren't in game injury issues. Yes. He had the hand cramp, but it almost seems certain that that was more COVID-related from, you know, leading in, in, into the NC State game. And then how's he supposed to avoid a teammate stomping on his foot yeah. during practice? You know, a 370-pound offensive lineman.
0: Yeah, those so, guys are supposed to be protecting the quarterback right? and okay? not, it's, not it's stomping fair. on him. Right. <laughs>
1: So it's not like he's had to leave games because of a hit in the pocket that he could have avoided or he should have slid or gotten out of bounds or, you know, however you would envision a quarterback getting dinged during a game.
0: Yeah, and it goes back to what we started with the kind of athlete he is. Uh, Brad Cornelson said he's bigger and stronger this year, um, which should add to the durability. It was a little alarming. You know, he told us in Charlotte he yeah. doesn't even know how to slide, right. which he's, kids have been playing quarterback a long time to not have that particular skill set down
1: plus he was a baseball player of course he knows how to slide
0: <laughs> yeah that might have been a little uh, hyperbole but uh he certainly is a guy who isn't afraid of contact but i think he goes into this year aware of you know it's important to to pick your spots and, and to not take unnecessary hits because of what we're saying because this team looks really good on its first line, on its first team, um, and things get a little sketchy <laughs> when you get into that that too deep, and you know. But there there is some talent on that too deep, and there's some guys we don't know about, and that brings us pretty neatly to this week's edition of Who You Got. Let's stick with the uh, Virginia Tech football theme here for a minute, and David, we're going to start with you. Okay. okay, if there's one player who needs to have a breakout season for the Hokies to have a successful year. Who is it? Who you
1: got? I think the first place you look, guys, is the running back room. And with Khalil Herbert gone 1,700 yards out the door, the the primary candidate in my mind, it's not a new name by any stretch, is Jalen Holston. I anticipate that he will be in the starting backfield on September 3rd against North Carolina. But Jalen Holston has never logged more than 70 carries in a season. I believe he had 40 last year. I mean, he's been dinged up, but he's shown some flashes. And I think one year he averaged 4.9 a carry. Last year was 4.7. To me, that's somebody that Virginia Tech really needs to get some consistent, consistent production from. Thanks.
0: Mike, you know, it's interesting. You and I went to the. The same position, but different players. Uh, The guy I'm looking at, and and maybe it's because he formerly played at my alma mater at Rutgers, (laughs) but Raheem Blackshear. And and David, if you remember a a year ago, we didn't hear much about Khalil Herbert. We heard about Raheem Blackshear. We heard about how he could be a running back, a wide receiver, an H-back, a Wildcat quarterback. He could do all these things. It didn't really materialize uh, for Blackshear last season, and in part because of what Herbert did, right? You're going to ride a hand like that, and Herbert was just outstanding. Blackshear ended up with with under 400 total yards for the season, but you know this is a guy who, in his I guess sophomore year, second year, however we're however we're doing years, uh, was over a thousand yards of total offense at Rutgers. Uh, you know he he was responsible, I think, five touchdowns that season. Uh, he's a very dynamic player who can do a lot of things that the coaches were making it sound like they were building the offense around and that it didn't pan out. Brad Cornell admitted, admitted, maybe put a little too much on his plate first year in a new school, maybe put a little too much hype on a guy who who hadn't played yet for their team. I think that that potential that they saw, I think it was real. I think it's still there. I think if he is that player this year, man, that just transforms this offense
1: agreed and the, the the question that i have mike is from which position if if they're going to try to pare down what they want to do with blackshear is it from the running back position is it from more of a of a slot receiver position how are we going to see him deployed i'm very curious to see
0: yeah, I expect to see him play a huge role in the passing game, and whether it's out of the backfield, motioning out, and you know, part of what's great about a player like that in the in the chess match that is offensive coordinator against defensive coordinator is he doesn't tip your hand if he's on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's in there, it can be a running play, it can be a throw out of the backfield. He can motion out, and all of a sudden, you need to pull a, a corner or somebody else down. Um, it, it creates matchup problems, and and I think that's one of the reasons the coaches. Are are so intrigued by him. I'm going to cheat here and and let's go a second round on this question. Because what about what about the other side of the ball, David? I, I'm curious. We, we both went offense. What about the other side of the ball? Is there a guy you're looking to say, okay, if this guy is good or is as good as advertised or is better than we expect, that could really elevate this defense.
1: Devin Hunter. That's that's the one that immediately pops to mind. Simply because he was such a highly rated prospect when he signed with the Hokies, obviously had his legal issues and was away from the program for a significant amount of time. Justin Fuente spoke at length to us, Mike, you were in the room when we had kind of a breakout session with him at the ACC kickoff in Charlotte about all that that went into reinstating Devin Hunter to the program, not only from a department standpoint, a university standpoint, the head coach, there were a whole lot of people that had to approve this before it could happen. But boy, if, if Devin Hunter in that safety role can approach that you know four or five star status that he had coming to Virginia Tech. They got a chance to be a lot better on the back end, which is where they need to be better.
0: No doubt, no doubt. I mean, a potential star, a potential you know. When he, when he signed, people compared him to Cam Chancellor, and um, hasn't materialized for a lot of reasons. But there's still time, and it still could. And I'll go back to what you mentioned with Justin and, and talking about reinstating Devin. And I, I appreciated when he said. Because I I asked him about, you know, you take that on as a coach, right? You're going to be criticized by some people for giving a kid a second chance. Um, You're going to be scrutinized now, kind of going forward. How does it pan out? And I appreciate that he said, hey, the easy thing to do is to wash your hands of the kid, right? That's the easy thing to do. Say, okay, you got in trouble. I don't need this. We're, We're done. And Justin pointed out he's done that. He's done that more than once <laughs> since he's been the Virginia Tech head coach. And um, we don't need to relitigate all of those kids, but there have been talented players who mm-hmm. he decided it wasn't worth it. Um, it. It shows you what he believes in uh, about Devin Hunter, that this was the kid he said. Yeah, he, he knows he's sticking his neck out for this kid, and he believes it's the right thing to do and he believes it's worth it, not just football-wise, but but for the kid's life and for what, you know, th- these coaches don't want bad influences around their locker room. They don't want these headaches, and they know that the quickest way to get on the hot seat, not that Justin's not already there, but the quickest <laughs> way to get on the hot seat is to have problems in your program that are off the field. Uh, there's very little patience for that. So I, I think it, it says a lot about who Devin Hunter is, in the eyes of Justin Fuente, that he's been reinstated. And I think you're right. A big year from him could really be huge for the
1: defense. Yep, And you're right about the coach sticking his neck out there because a coach who's not winning enough, which clearly the last couple of years Justin Fuente has not, if in turn he has issues off the field, any goodwill that he's built up vanishes that might cushion the blow from a less than successful season.
0: Yeah, and I I think we all expect he needs to have a very successful season to to remain the coach in Blacksburg. The guy who's going to make that decision ultimately, his future is secure. Whit Babcock, the athletic director, he just agreed uh, to a new extension. David, you were tweeting out some of the details. And um, interesting in in terms of the terms, uh, we didn't see a major change there, right? We're just seeing... An extension of years, which in in these times, I guess, makes some sense.
1: Yeah, I i i found it to be a very uh, sensitive way to, to to handle it, for for lack of a better word, Mike. This is 2021, and throughout this calendar year, Virginia Tech's athletic department, the everyone is having salary reductions depending on on your pay scale. Now, now some, I I guess who make less than 40000 I believe it is, uh, did, did not have, have their salary reduced. But in that climate, it would have been kind of tone deaf to not only extend anyone's contract, and especially the boss, and say, oh, and look, we're going to give him a lot more money. But, but no, they're, they're not. His, his salary structure is going to remain the exact same. They extended him through 2029. You you look around the the, the country, not many athletic directors have a contract that that goes out eight years. And this is the second time that Virginia Tech has done that with, with Babcock, because when they signed the deal in 2016, it went through 2024. This new one extends it from 24 to 29.
0: That's, it's interesting because we've seen movement right in AD jobs. And one of the jobs that came open was at Missouri and, and it's an SEC job. There was some question, would they reach out to Whit Babcock? We don't know if if that happened, but the job ended up going to his former number two uh, at, at Virginia Tech, uh, Desiree Reed-Francois, who had most recently been the, the AD at, at UNLV. Um, interesting, it, at least in that connection, it makes me wonder if... Uh, if there was a phone call to Whit Babcock, if he not only passed, but put in a good word for who he might look to, um, certainly she's got a resume that, that warrants that attention.
1: Oh, if I assure you, Mike, if, if Missouri reached out to, to Whit, and it makes sense that the Tigers would have, mm-hmm. Whit, Whit used to work at, at Missouri, and if, if someone from Missouri did indeed contact him, there's no question he would have given Desiree uh, a, just a strong, strongest in, endorsement. Um, Desiree worked for, for Witt not only at Virginia Tech, but also Cincinnati. Uh, Desiree, as you mentioned most recently, the AD at UNLV. She's worked in the NFL in, on the legal side with the Oakland Raiders and you know, has, has a very diverse set of experiences uh, that I think will serve her well in, in the SEC. Now that's, that's a whole different operation than, than at UNLV, but she's got SEC chops too. She's worked at Tennessee.
0: Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what she does there. And Missouri is certainly not known for football in a league that's known for football. So that will be a bit of a challenge. David, speaking of football, I'm curious, how do you, I don't know, relate, equate um, the extension for Whit Babcock? To Justin Fuente's situation, because in in my eyes, it in a sense kind of ratchets up the pressure. Because it, the, according to that contract section, if there's a coaching change, Whittle be there to to oversee it and and to live through it. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, it says this guy isn't going anywhere. Now it's your turn to kind of put up or shut up.
1: I think it's a pretty pretty fair assessment of it. And ads, fairly or not, are essentially judged by the coaches. They hire, especially the marquee coaches. And Whit Babcock hired Buzz Williams. Turned out to be a pretty good hire. He hired Mike Young. Looks like that's going to be a pretty darn good hire. Hired Justin Fuente. Mm, We'll see. So, uh, and and football matters clearly more than men's basketball at at Virginia Tech, as as well as should. Uh, That's that's the one that, that makes the money. And, uh, you know, Witt's last football hire at uh, Cincinnati didn't work out so well either, although the guy is in the U.S. Senate. So who am I to question how it all worked out?
0: I I question the voters probably more there than I do any athletic directors in the way that thing turned out. But, uh, you know, speaking of, of coaching hires, one that happened many, 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 many years ago and was... I mean, as successful as, as any run, we've seen Bobby Bowden at Florida State and uh, the legendary Seminoles coach passed away. And, you know, David, you and I both got, got the chance to spend time with, with Bobby Bowden to get to know him a little bit. Uh, you, I'm sure, more than I did. But what stands out from from just such an, an iconic career that, that Bobby had?
1: Mike, he was the common man. I mean, he, as as legendary a figure as he was and is. And for all his accomplishments, he never, ever, ever considered himself above anyone and he never lost that personal touch. I had a friend of mine who's a former SID, Sports Information Director at Wake Forest, John Justice. Tell me a story yesterday about how in 2007, And John had been uh, out of the SID business for quite some time at this point. He was no longer affiliated with Wake Forest, but he was working in Winston-Salem. And when the football schedule came out, John noticed that the Seminoles were playing at Wake Forest on a Thursday night. And John, knowing that Coach Bowden was a man of faith, thought, wow, you know, I wonder if when Florida State comes up here, I know it would be game day, but Maybe just maybe, Coach Bowden might come speak to our men's group on a Thursday morning at our church in Winston-Salem. So he reached out to his friend at Florida State in sports information, and Rob Wilson is his name. And Rob told John, "Well, of course he'll do it. He'll be happy to do it. He does it all the time." And John's like, "Are you sure? You, you, it's gained. Oh no, won't be a problem." And 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 so it it came to pass. That on on a game day, when Florida State was staying a half hour outside of Winston near the Greensboro Airport, John Justice fetched Bobby Bowden at 6 o'clock in the morning from the team hotel, drove him to Winston-Salem. More than 100 people showed up. They usually get about 25. Bobby spoke for half an hour, hung out afterward, glad-handing and slapping backs and, you know, posing for photos and answering questions like he didn't have anything to do. That's... (laughs) <laughs> who does that?
0: Yeah. And, and nobody anymore. And that's why it stands out. And, you know, that was my experience with Bobby. It was, it was near the end of his career. It was in the off season. So at least he didn't have a game looming, but he came to Harrisonburg when, when I was covering James Madison and he was speaking at, uh, I think an FCA event. And um, the PR person kind of said, well, you know, he's got this, he's got that he, he's booked up. I don't think he's going to have a lot of time for local media. And I said, okay. so well, you know, five minutes. I just want to get his thoughts on being here. And you know how you know local papers do. It's somebody famous is in town. You write about them being here. And then I figured I'd write about whatever he said to the group. And I, I saw him in the hallway and he said, where are you from? And I said, I, I'm with the local paper here. And he said, I love local newspapers. And he took me in a room and told the PR guy it would be fine. And he sat and talked to me for about 20 minutes about how much he still loved reading the paper in, in his hometown and getting up every morning and, and the printed paper and folding it open during breakfast and reading the local paper and seeing what was happening in, in his neighborhood. And then 20 minutes ran out and the PR person came in and said, are you all good? And Bobby said, oh, we haven't started. We've just been chatting. <laughs> and he sat with me for maybe another 30 and, and did an interview about you know life and football and uh, the things he does in the off season. And it was like you said. It was. It wasn't about his image. It wasn't that he wanted me to see him as. It's just who he was. Yeah. You want to talk to me? I'll talk to you. Uh, I'm busy. I'll find time. Um, I, and he wasn't. He it wasn't big time. It wasn't grandstanding, which sometimes we see, right? With with coaches now, they'll give you some time because they got a message they want to get out. Mm-hmm. Bobby Bowden was down to talk to talk about whatever I wanted to talk about, and. Um, you know, it, more than two national titles and 12 ACC titles and, and all the victories, um, you know, that experience for me is what I'll remember uh, most about Coach Bowden.
1: Yeah, every, everybody has, uh, a anyone who encountered him has a Bobby story story similar to that Mm -hmm. i mean mark rick his former offensive coordinator and graduate assistant coach uh, at the start told such a moving story about in 1986 a florida state player was shot and killed outside a campus dance on an off week was it was in september and he this, this this young man was totally innocent he was a starting offensive lineman was was outside and there was a disagreement he didn't ha- he didn't wasn't going to fight anybody he wasn't armed and the next thing you know he takes a shotgun pellet to to the chest and dies mm. and you know Bobby gathered the team the next day and just said you know you all think that you're going to live forever but I'm telling you you need to get your spiritual life in order because if you die tonight do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And Mark Richt said he was talking to the players, but that was God talking to me too. He said, because I wasn't in the right place spiritually. And the next day, Mark Richt went into Bobby's office and professed his faith. And turned to Christianity, and you know Mark Rick then you know be, became an advocate, and then he and his wife adopted two special needs children from an orphanage in the Ukraine, and you know the ripple effect that mm-hmm. Coach Bowden had on others' lives is it's just remarkable.
0: Yeah, you could fill a, a tribute without even touching everything he did football-wise, which yeah. was. Amazing and outstanding, oh. and turning that program into a brand and a national um, powerhouse, but yeah, um, the, the measure of his life, <laughs> there's a, a good chunk that's football, but man, there's a lot there uh, helping uh, influencing, impacting, improving other people's lives, that maybe football was his, his vehicle and, and gave him the, the avenue mm-hmm. to do it, but yeah. football had very little to do with it.
1: Yeah, 91 years old. Mm. Rest in uh, peace
0: and uh, absolutely uh, we'll be remembered well. Well, speaking of football and, and on the field stuff, we're, we're back at Virginia. You and I got to take in a practice there. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall's team is coming off uh, disappointing, I'd say, five and five season. They had been you know, the unbroken growth, the improving the wins year after year. Um, that took a step back. Certainly, the COVID funky year had a lot to do with, with a lot of teams' final records. But David, what did you take away from, from your time in Charlottesville?
1: I just sense this optimism. And uh, uh, about the program and uh, and about this team, and I know that's the prevailing attitude most everywhere you you might go during the the preseason, but it it just seems unbridled at at UVA. And they think they're going to be good, and they see no reason why they shouldn't be good. I think we, you and I both have questions, uh, certainly on, on the defensive end and, and, and in the secondary, and, and, and maybe also with the traditional run game, which we've talked about several times, uh, and, and maybe even on, on the outside without Lavelle Davis Jr., though I know they're very optimistic about Dontavian Wicks. But you know they think they're going to be really good. And they love to remind people that they are the defending coastal champions (laughs) and that they intend to keep that title.
0: Yeah, you know the way I sum up Virginia football right now, and and you just hit on it. I'd say we've got questions. They think they've got answers. Um, every one of those spots that you just talked about, which to me are, are red flags, they feel like, hey, we know exactly what's going to happen there. It, it isn't like some programs where they're they're searching and hunting. Uh, they've brought in help in the secondary. A couple transfers, uh, the, the kid from Louisville who can play safety or corner,
1: Anthony Johnson, the, the, yeah. the
0: corner from North Dakota State, who they think is going to really. Salute solidify uh, some of that uh, man, on, man on man and one-on-one coverage situations that that got them in trouble at times last year. Uh, you mentioned the running game, but they've always, every camp, every offseason, they love Wayne Telepapa uh, and believe he's on the verge of something big. Ronnie Walker, I spent a lot of time with him yesterday. Um, Ronnie Walker could potentially be a breakout weapon. Uh, you mentioned Dontavian Wicks. Demick Starling is as fast as anybody in that program at the wide receiver position. And then Jelani Woods, the tight end. Yeah. To me, it all, though, comes down, and, and this is simplifying it, but just like when we talked about tech and you said we always start at quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, man, if he's good, I think they can be good. If he's eh, I think they're going to be eh. And, and I don't think that's an oversimplification.
1: No, it's it's, it's not. And, you know, he had, he had moments where he was both last season, when he was really good and when he, when he wasn't. And that's what you expect from a, from a first-year starter. And you also expect that as he progresses in his career, that a quarterback is going to improve. And this, this is a year where Virginia needs him to.
0: Yeah. And and, and I think the players, and this goes to what you started talking about, the players are very confident in him. They believe they've got a weapon at that position. Uh, They believe they have a lot of weapons and they've also got a lot of motivation because like I said, five and five didn't sit well with them. The way they ended the season with that loss to to Virginia Tech before opting out of the bowl game. Nick Jackson told me today that the screensaver on his phone is an image, a photo of of the tech players celebrating with the Commonwealth cup. It's got the score from the game. And he said, look, he said, I want to see that every time I turn on my phone because yeah, that game's not till the end of the schedule and yada, yada. and, And you take one game at a time, but the bad taste, the bad feeling, of how last year ended, that is driving this team. It drove them through the offseason, and I think it's going to drive them uh, from now until they get to that that point uh, Thanksgiving weekend.
1: Mike, I think we're going to find out a whole lot about the Cavaliers before we even get to mid-October. Now I'm sitting here lo- looking at the schedule and ought to beat William & Mary, ought to beat Illinois. You're 2-0, and and then here we go, at Carolina home against Wake Forest, a Wake Forest team that beat you last year and returns Mm. darn near everybody. Then the next week at Miami, by the way, for the third consecutive season, thanks to COVID.
0: No complaints here.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next week at Louisville against against a Cardinals team that is very optimistic about its squad. Those four games, all conference games, two of them in the division, the two teams picked one and two. In your in division, game. both on the road. I mean, that to me is the defining stretch.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and Carolina is going to be the litmus test for us here because Virginia Tech gets them in the opener. UVA gets them week three. We mm-hmm. all think Carolina's really good. So we're going to have a, a really good handle, I think, on both teams. Maybe not how good or bad they are, but what kind of season they're going to have because of how pivotal that matchup will be in, in the early part of the season. You know, Virginia the last three years is 17-2 and at home. Where they haven't gotten it done, as you just pointed out, on the road Mm -hmm. and it is the next step i think in the evolution and the development of bronco mendenhall's program are they ready to make that jump now from great at home so so on the road they certainly don't ease into their road schedule by any stretch Uh, but you're right i think it defines this season and the ability to win on the road to me is what defines what kind of a program they're going to be going forward because hey you win your home games you can win six or seven games a year and be in a bowl right and that, that from where UVA was that's nothing to sneeze at but they certainly aspire to more and to get to more you got to win away from Scott Stadium
1: yes you do and and then you know late later in the year they have to go to Brigham Young mm-hmm. and they have to go to Pittsburgh
0: Oh, yeah. So in the end, the the road season is going to determine what UVA football is in 2021. and, And that issue kind of leads us into this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. Let's talk about Cavalier aspirations, Okay.
1: Virginia will finish higher than the preseason prediction of fifth place in the ACC Coastal. Take it or leave it. And let's start with Mike.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take it. Um, I had them fourth. I think if Armstrong plays well, they'll be in the running for that two, three, four. 3 that, that little jumble there. Um, again, if he doesn't play well, if the back end of the defense isn't better, yeah, fifth, maybe even sixth. But I think when they say they've got answers to our questions, I think they're right. And I think they will be better. So, um Fifth seems low. I'd be surprised if they finished lower than fourth, and I could see them in that 2-3 range again with those two key things that need to come together. All right. Thank you, Mike. David?
1: I also will take it because, like Mike, I picked UVA to finish fourth in the Coastal. And truth be told, guys, two, three, four, five to me with Miami, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Pitt, I have no clue put put a blanket over them flip a coin pick one out of a hat i i truly had a, had a hard time trying to you know find any difference among that that group of four to me carolina is the clear favorite and i believe georgia tech and duke are the two bottom feeders in the group and then that middle four your guess is as good as mine
0: yeah it's going to make every every one of those conference division games especially so crucial and my hope kind of selfishly for the season is that uva and tech are are right there for that two three kind of spot because it's going to make that game uh, at the end of the year all the more special and you know it came up a few times It, it wasn't just tech and uva you know that game it wasn't just uva players kind of lamenting last year dax holyfield said that the year that uva beat tech to earn the division title to go to the orange bowl dax felt like that was a setback for the tech program a tipping point because he felt like hey if they win that year win the division it's all uphill from there and losing that one game cost them the orange bowl cost them the division and he felt like it set the program back and um We're getting ahead of ourselves, but I I think both those teams have a chance to be in the 2-3 range, and man, that that would make the, the final regular season game really something special
1: for us a lot of fourth quarters between now and thanksgiving weekend (laughs) my brother
0: we got a ways to go and man we're going to enjoy it and we hope you do too and we hope you enjoyed listening today you can subscribe to teal and barber on apple podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the td you can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com today's show was produced by dean hoffmeyer Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next time.